0: Surprise
1: box Wednesday. Just uh, we uh, went to the uh, box and just pulled out a song uh, at random, and uh, hmm, look what came out: Juice Newton, Queen of Hearts. Children of the '80s will recall that track from being on various compilation albums. It was a country pop song written by Hank DeVito, the pedal steel guitarist, and Emily Harris's backing group, the Hot Band. Uh, And, uh, hey, it was a fairly big hit, reached uh, the top ten here in New Zealand, and uh, uh, Juice Newton is still going, not strong, but still singing, and she's a horse trainer. How about that? Great name, though, Jews. Yeah, great name, though. Jesus! what a great name. Yeah. 25 to 5, the panel NZ National. Thanks for the feedback. Um, team, uh, we have a small accommodation business in a central Otago, only two rooms on our vineyard. Before the guests arrive, we fly their country's flag, and they just love it when they arrive and often take pictures of it. We have all the flags we need. And if we get a new country, we go out and buy a flag for it. Aww, isn't that wonderful? That's so sweet. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? Yeah. Um, and regarding portions, yeah, with regard to the large portions, I'm elderly and cannot eat the meals that they dish up in cafes and restaurants. So I've taken to suggesting to places I go that they have a senior's menu, like they have a kid's menu. <laughs> it's not a bad idea.
2: It's not. I think Denny's already do that. So do like, they? If you want yeah, to get something at two too. in the morning.
1: Cob Co <laughs> does a senior's menu. Is that right, Nick Leggett? Yeah.
2: Isn't there only one in the country left, though? No,
3: no, there are several. Really? Yeah, I I sound far too interested in this, <laughs> don't I? <laughs> Have you been to a Coban co lately, Nick? Uh, there's a good one on Portillo. We we got Coban co back. Uh, it was a big thing in my childhood, and yeah. um, we ran a bit of a campaign, and the, she came back, and uh, yeah, it's great.
2: I've never been, but well, I do like that you gendered it. There's
3: something about it, isn't there? What
1: what is it? What is it? I mean, listeners might. My- Remind me what it was What it is about the Cobb and Co and we is, is, is it the special Drink with traffic
3: light The traffic light, yes or, or is it the fact that you can get a great roast beef In Tatey's and, for uh, like 8.50 And don't forget, Wallace, the Cobb Crunchies I think that's uh, they, they seem to really be a draw card. <laughs>
1: and the history of Cobb and Co as well, eh?
3: There was, yeah. a, there was a, pa- there's a package, isn't it? there yeah. yeah.
1: All right, 24 to 5. Uh, by the way, that's not sponsored by Common Code. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going down memory lane. Uh, as we will be very soon about tolls. We've got a, had right, quite a response regarding uh, tolls. In fact, let's go to this. Costs are rising and time is slipping on a new system to enable tolls to be charged on more roads. Transport agency documents show it had been due to begin within months, but instead it'll be 2024 report. RNZ's Phil Pennington. Technical support for the current system expired last Friday after already being extended. Only three highways are currently tolled in Aotearoa. And the rules make clear the public must be consulted before any others are. And here's the issue. Tolls are pretty unusual in this country. But in Sydney, motorists pay Get this: around two million dollars a year in road toll charges. Before we go to an expert, I want to bring in uh, Brenda from, or self-described North Shore girl. Brenda, welcome to the panel.
4: Hi, Wallace and Co. Thank you.
1: Now, do you recall going across the Harbour Bridge and paying a toll? The little booth?
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, multiple times. As a, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember, sadly, but yeah, as a kid, being in the back seat wishing we didn't have to stop wanting to get home and then if you didn't have the right money get the money, let's get the money and then it just slowed down your journey (laughs) it was a pain
1: So it would be, how how would you pay? What what would happen?
4: I think you just hand them the 25 cents or whatever it was
3: (laughs) 25 cents?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Was there a little
2: arm that went up and down over the road?
4: It was not flash I think you just stopped you probably oh. felt guilty if you didn't stop, so would probably send a police car. Because right next to there is the police station, which was their base, and it's now a current police station at Northcote. Um, it's still there? Yeah, that was the tolls office, and it's now uh, New Zealand Police Office.
1: So you recall it as being 25 cents. I'm just old enough I think, to, I, think, yeah, I think. I'm just old enough to actually recall it myself. And I don't know about you, Brenda, uh, but I would have a little wee uh, mini-fight with uh, with actually more often than not than dad, asking if I could be the one who handed over oh, yeah. the 25 cents. No, we
4: cents. couldn't. We couldn't really. Now I was holding the station wagon. I think I was normally tucked in the back. I probably couldn't have reached.
1: Well, you probably could have because you wouldn't have been wearing your life uh, a seatbelt.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, tr- yeah, possibly. Yep. I remember thinking it's a pain, and actually last weekend, because I drive over the bridge regularly, I was looking at it, remembering, oh, this is exactly where the tolls were, and just thinking, oh, it was a pain.
1: Yeah, Nice one. Thanks for the memories, Brenda. Kia ora. Thanks. Do you recall that uh, a person collected it in the middle of the road, says someone? Uh, Yes, well, with us is Dr. Tim Welsh, who specialises in transportation, infrastructure and urban modelling at the University of Auckland. Dr. Welsh, kia ora. Uh, Kia ora, how are you? There you go. There's a few memories for you, Tim. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Now, um, just three highways currently tolled. Why don't we have more tolls in this country?
5: Uh, it's just not something that we've done on a regular basis, um, but it's, it's certainly something that's worthwhile doing. Uh, I think a lot of countries are moving away from just tolling a single road or a little bit of infrastructure um, with something a little more comprehensive, like a cordon around the city that would charge people to come into the city. It's more effective at regulating traffic than just one road.
1: Right. Um well Verity, you were saying mm. off air because you're from uh London London. Yeah. Um, tolls have been existence there for a long time. So what happens?
2: Well, it's basically just a congestion tax in the sense that exactly what Tim's talking about, where you have basically a cordon around the entire city, and then if you want to go through the cordon, you have to pay, and it massively reduces the amount of people who are willing to drive in because nobody really does that. It's just it's insane. And I was actually talking to my best friend in Sydney as well. I said the same thing to me having that toll in Sydney. She was like, "We're not paying four bucks, babe. We're not doing it. We're going to take the train because I'm not right. paying it." Yeah, it's a massive psychological thing. That to go over the bridge is like four dollars. And then, depending on how many tolls you cross, yeah, I think it was like thirty-four dollars if we started an outer suburb and went into the opera house. Good grief, Tim!
5: Tim, yeah, it's it's true that the demand for toll roads in Australia has been a lot lower than expected, um, partially because of the cost. But a few years ago, a number of firms that model uh, traffic and predicted how much revenue would come from these toll roads were sued because they fell so short of expectations. So um, overcharging can certainly cause other behaviour and, and a fall in revenue.
1: Well, you're in transportation, Nick. You head up the uh, in, uh, the sector there. What's your thoughts on tolling?
3: Oh, pretty supportive, actually. Um, and I think... for the congestion charge but also for perhaps tolling uh, highways you mentioned the Auckland Harbour Bridge before that would never have been built uh, if it was just built off, you know, on the basis of its benefit cost ratio back in the day, which I think was 1.5. And look what it's it's led to. So I think we've got to, I think we got to look at new ways of funding infrastructure in New Zealand, and particularly public transport, because we've mentioned London and Sydney, and we don't, particularly Auckland, we don't have the public transport infrastructure. And we, and we know we've, you know, we've got light rail on the way, but we've also got to keep funding it. So I think um, we've got it's got to be inventive. I think Kiwis as well are just Um, used to space, used to jumping in the car and and doing things and and as we grow and as we change and as we've got um, to think about uh, decarbonisation different choices have got to be made and and we've got to help that along So what
1: about that uh, Dr Walsh, because looking at Sydney that amount, right, $2 billion a year in road toll charges, I'm thinking about the city, uh, the super city 1.6 million people Auckland needs to find 270 million dollars really quickly. We're in a hole. I mean, tolls, couldn't they raise a bit of revenue?
5: Well, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, we have 10,000 kilometers of road just in Auckland. Uh, so there's a lot of space that's a lot of cost of infrastructure. Uh, so typically a toll is used to fund new infrastructure. Uh, but there's certainly an argument that could be made that we could use that to to raise revenue, to maintain our current infrastructure and plug some of those budget holes.
1: Not all roses, though, uh, aid, Tim, because right now in Sydney, the cost of tolls, you've mentioned, you already mentioned there, you know, $34 to go from outer ring to inner, perhaps, they've become a political hot potato and tolls have evolved in a sort of piecemeal type of way so there's a bit of blowback in fact including from truckies who say they feel that they're being pinged so it's got to be designed well
5: there's also an argument that it can improve uh flows of traffic so especially for freight if you are able to tow and toll and move people over to public transportation alternatives then the road's just going to work better and mm. it's going to be more predictable and better flowing and lower cost for a variety of other users.
2: Um, Tim, when you were saying earlier that the the companies were expecting to make um, like $2 million or whatever off from the tolls and then they significantly got less revenue than that, was that because the the overtax, or the over-high the price of the toll was really driving people to take public transport? Was that why they didn't make as much money as they thought they would?
5: I think that yeah, they failed to estimate the reaction people would have in using other modes or just suffering through congestion. Uh, if the there isn't a meaningful alternative um, to you know to that route, or if there is a meaningful alternative to that route, then it's easy for people to switch that behavior. So um, it's it's easy to overestimate how many people might use a really expensive toll road. If they're used to sitting in traffic for an extra fifteen minutes, uh, or if the bus can get them there nearly as quickly,
1: right? I'm wondering if that will be. Uh, I heard Nick sort of uh, verbally nodding there in agreement regarding congestion, because I know uh, Nick that it is one of the main issues, isn't it, uh, it in is. the in the industry? Uh, the congestion is really hammering productivity. So anything uh,
3: like this cordon pricing could be pretty good for you guys. Yes, particularly obviously around cities. I mean, there's an est there's an estimate put I think a few years ago that uh, congestion costs Auckland about 1.2 billion dollars a year in lost revenue. I mean, that's actually our whole economy. It's not just Auckland, but it, it particularly impacts the trucking industry in Auckland, obviously. And it's things such as an idling truck in yeah. traffic emits more. Uh, it might only be able to make. Uh, two trips a day Not three because of congestion And that adds right. to cost and, um, and it also compromises driver safety With things like fatigue So it takes longer to, 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 to shift important freight and, um, and nobody is happier And things are more costly
1: Interesting stuff. I'm sure that we'll be coming back to this issue more, uh, Tim. But for now, kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's Dr Tim yeah. Welsh there uh, from Auckland University. He specialises in transportation, infrastructure and urban modelling. I'd be very interested to hear from those who did live in, you say, the likes of London uh, or Sydney. How did you find the tolls? How did you go about your daily life? And did it, as Verity Johnson suggests, it made you change your uh, mode of transport? Uh, made you take? How did you get around in
2: London? What did you do? Train. Always the train, tube, and then obviously Thameslink. Right? Yeah, and it, ta- it yeah. takes you to where you want to go. Yeah, it's fantastic. Like honest to god, everywhere, no one drives in London. No okay. one drives.
1: Right, right. No. Um, large response regarding your Auckland Harbridge uh memories, uh, Wallace. It was a twenty cent toll. Yes, I think that's mm. right. There were there was a man that operated toll booth. You tossed twenty cents into <laughs> a basket, or you got changed from, from for a note from the toll booth operator. Uh, someone else says. I once had to write a cheque for 25 cents.
3: <laughs> How long ago are we talking? To, I mean, to get please. across the bridge. It was really embarrassing. Can we have some disclosure here about, you know, because uh, it seemed, I mean, 20, 20, 25 cents seems like 30,
1: 40 years ago. Well, I think it was, let's just say 76, 77. Oh, okay. Uh, right. our, our listeners will know. Anyway, okay. uh, it's 13 to 5. Locked out of the Canadian market. Looks like we're getting a bum end of the deal with Canada, losing out uh, in uh, away with our uh, trade agreement with Canada. The Prime Minister has raised concerns that Canada is breaking its promises under a Trans-Pacific Free Trade Agreement. The quota under the CPTPP sets out how much of a product can be imported with lower taxes or at a lower tax rate. Lost dairy market access was estimated to have cost £68 New Zealand over the first two years of this uh, deal in lost market access. And just a reminder, our primary expert exports are worth $53 billion to our economy. So this is um, a big deal. With us is trade expert Stephen DeCoby. Kia ora, Stephen.
6: Kia ora, Wallace, and bonjour.
1: Yes, thank you. Bonjour, uh, Stephen. What's going on? Is this bullying?
6: Uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, you've got to love the Canadians, don't you? I certainly do, having spent many years in that great country. But you don't have to love their dairy policies, and that's the problem here. Uh, they made a deal with us to open just a tiny fraction of their market under the CPTPP agreement, and they found a way to not even do that. That's why uh, we're going to this dispute settlement process, which is what civilised countries do when they can't agree.
1: Yeah, but Stephen, it's the first dispute that's been taken by any party under the CPTPP. Are they uh, uh, are they not being good faith?
6: Well, that would be our contention. That's quite right. It is the first dispute that's taken. But, you know, trade agreements have built in them, dispute settlement processes. We shouldn't be afraid of using them if there is a dispute that can't be solved. Uh, that's the best way... Uh, to proceed. You know, we've taken disputes against all sorts of trading partners. By the way, New Zealand has never lost a trade dispute. Right. And we've also taken Canada to the WTO on dairy before.
2: All right. Stephen, I'm just curious. What happens at the end of this dispute process? Obviously, like, there's an adjudication panel. Do mm. they just declare a winner or a loser? Is it like boxing matches?
6: Uh, yeah, they, they, there's a panel of three that's established, uh, and they make a final report, and the report is uh, published, and then the offending party has to bring its uh, policies into conformity with the uh, uh, finding. Uh, and if they don't do that, then the offended party can withdraw trade concessions to the exact amount. I mean, what we want them to do is change their behaviour. We don't want actually to have to put new trade barriers in place uh, from exports from Canada to New Zealand for example how do you,
3: how do you see it as Nick I don't really see it other than sort of protectionism on behalf of Canada but I'm interested to know from Stephen if there are risks to that wider Canadian New Zealand relationship in terms of trade or beyond trade uh, if they get their noses out of joint do you do you see anything
6: Uh, Well, I mean, you know, I think there's always a risk that uh, the loser won't like the Mm. outcome. But this is what civilised countries should be doing. Mm. You know, we've had other examples of this, as I've said. We took the Australians, you remember, to the WTO about apples. uh, And uh, they managed to live with it. And I I think they've never, uh, you know, things have moved on. So I think that um, mature grown-ups can have disputes and settle them, and we should be modelling that behaviour to others because it's a lot better than getting into a big scrap and putting out even more protectionist walls, uh, uh, but rather allowing mm. trade to continue. Absolutely.
1: Hey, Stephen, thanks for uh, being on the programme and uh, enlightening us uh, with that. Kia ora. Uh, that is uh, a trade expert, Stephen Jacoby, so he's just keeping a level head on this and going, you know, our contention would be that they're not playing fair, but um, let's go to the resolution process, and we've always won so far. Let's see what happens. Uh, Nine away from five, Marie says, uh, I moved to New Zealand from Sydney in July. The Sydney toll roads are owned by one company. No revenue is raised to fund any public infrastructure. A monopoly with automatic toll rises every six months. Don't follow Sydney's mistake, says Marie. We'll check up on that, but uh, thank you very much for your feedback on that. Now, finally, whether it's... Firing half the worst workforce, introducing payment for the elusive blue tick, who's gonna pay eight bucks? Hmm. Or lack of clarity about censoring hate speech, Elon Musk's Twitter Takeover is a drama that doesn't end, does it? We've discussed this before, but looking at all that's unfolded since he purchased Twitter for, what, $44 billion? You've got to wonder, is there a method to the madness? Is this pure mismanagement, or does Musk have a grand plan? And, by the way, are you all leaving Twitter... In droves. Uh, we are with Dr. Ethan Plout, lecturer in the School of Cultures, Languages and Linguistics at Auckland University and has an interest in uh, technology. Uh, Dr. Plout, kia ora.
0: Jordan Wallace. Happy now, Plout, to be here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dr. Plout. Sorry. Now, um, uh, how do you see this? Have Has Elon Musk's actions surprised you?
0: Well, I think the whole <laughs> – a big part of his game is surprise, and it's not just one yeah. surprise. It's uh, a kind of PR war on all front, all fronts day after day. So um, it's not to say that I'm ex- exactly surprised that it's going badly. What I'm seeing is that surprise is sort of part of the strategy.
1: And it is exhausting, isn't it? It's day after day, these pretty – let me just be really frank, uh, Ethan – bizarre and quite random tweets that he's doing (laughs) is there some sort of a kind of a plan here or what
0: well i'm seeing a mix of things you know i don't think there's necessarily a a secret master plan that's happening beneath the surface or anything Mm. like that i think there's an element of this where they really are throwing everything against the wall uh including the possibility of a paywall to see what might stick um but in the meantime, what I do think in terms of his kind of uh, public face and the strategy that, that he's, he's doing on Twitter with his tweets and in terms of managing the news media, I see it as, as really a kind of shock and awe strategy. It's not a mistake. I think Goodness. that you know that, that, that there are disasters happening left and right, I think that's uh, part of the way that he does business
1: let's bring you and Nick first i mean you you 're not a huge uh user of Twitter are you
3: <laughs> no but i do i mean I, I I tend to use it as a place to just look at it look up look for opinions look at yeah. find out what 's going on. I just don't have the space in my head really for for ongoing sort of Twitter fights but interestingly I've thought about Elon Musk uh, as I've observed what's happened and you know he describes himself as a utopian anarchist and I just I just wonder if this is a you know this is a sort of a destructive uh, agenda here um, it's it's clearly disruptive but is it is he also trying to be destructive? And I'm I'm interested to, 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 to understand sort of an academic opinion on that.
0: His politics are really hard to make sense of, mm. frankly. I mean he, he talks a big game about radical free speech and then he's on Twitter, you know, sort of um, posting the bullet points that we might see coming up with the Kremlin, right? You know, I mean, he's he's expressed some very strange perspectives. It would seem to be pro-Putin. He's threatened to pull internet out of Ukraine. Obviously, Tesla has complicated business relationships around the world, including in some uh, quite repressive regimes. And so I, I think he is at minimum, politically compromised by his, his business interests. Uh, you know, in terms of his professed uh, personal or uh, philosophical, you know, positions on, on politics and things, you know, I, he really is out there claiming that, you know, people need to colonize Mars and, and think deep into the future and all kinds of things like that, and that the, the fights that we're having in the here and now on Earth... Are almost sort of beneath him. Sometimes it seems the ways that he talks about things, from my perspective, that's really dangerous because there's a lot of real people down here living on Earth.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> goodness. What's what's your um, what's your form of choice? Is it are you, do you do you stick with the tried and true your MySpaces or <laughs> your, your, your
2: your Friendsters, Verity? Me, personally. Oh, yeah. uh, I am Instagram. I have never used uh, Twitter, and I have never Haven't used you? Facebook. No, no. you, you God, never used no. the two big ones? No. Well, okay, so I tried Twitter once. I got it, and then about half an hour into it, I saw that somebody I knew who I really respected their writing was saying about like how awful I was as a but journalist. But that's part of the fun, isn't it? <sighs> I don't know if you really want to see all of no. that negativity every no. day. Like, I mean, it was UV-R-T. a pretty bitter spat, and I didn't, like... I didn't do anything to deserve it. It was just a bit of like oh, venting. That's and a I, shame. yeah, I don't know. It's a bit it's just a bit unnecessary. Right. But I'm also curious Ethan. I mean, personally I think with Elon Musk, he gives off to me the energy of that guy who just wants to be the dude who can fix everything. Like he looks at a problem, he's like, "I can solve that." And then he just says he can and he hasn't actually got a plan for solving it, but he just wants to walk in and be the action hero who can save the day. So Do you actually think he can do this with Twitter, or do you think it's all hot air?
0: Frankly, I think it's all hot air. I think this is the hubris of Silicon Valley technologists combined with the hubris of being a billionaire, right? You know, people think if they're good at one thing, uh, and that thing is computers, well, they can just sort of compute their way out of it. But, you know, Twitter is complicated. We're talking about social problems. We're talking about racism. Uh, You know, uh, we're talking about... Sure, money is a part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And uh, honestly, it's it's that's the only thing that Musk is, is really proven to do very well.
1: Good to have you on, uh, Dr. Ethan Plort There, And um, basically, I just want to hear um, Queen of Hearts again, because I haven't heard this in 25 years. And the memories... Uh... What a song. Weirdly, huh? Um Verity and Nick Kiorutzi at both. Thanks for being with me. I'm Wallace Chapman, thanks to Sam. Checkpoint next. I'm back tomorrow, three forty-five. Take it away, juice.